The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hey, hi, hello. Uh, for those new to watching, whether you see on Twitter, YouTube, wherever, listen to this later, my name is Corbin Ford, uh, basketball fanatic. I'll probably say it two or three times. You can follow me at Corbin NBA. Uh, really, it's a lot of stuff on basketball because why not? It's my favorite thing in the world. Um, you can also find my podcast, NBA Today, on Hoopball, the good people at Hoopball, fantasy basketball powerhouse, a lot of people there. But not only just that, team coverage for many teams in the NBA, as well as um, great tools to win your fantasy league and just understand the game from a totally different level with people who know it inside and out. So follow them at hoopdashball.com and Hoopball Tweets. Uh, you can also find me as co host of a very, very cool podcast I love being a part of. It is called Duncan Dynasty uh, with the great host Garrett Bouguet. You can follow him at Garrett Bouguet. Um, also follow Duncan Dynasty. It's a really good podcast. We've been breaking down classic series. I just uh, was happy to join the team there, um, and it is awesome. So definitely for your basketball content needs, check those places out. Um, so me, I – wow, this court is tangled. Whatever. Yeah, I ain't coming to see the court. I came to see me if y'all came at all. Anyway, so um, – what I was going to do was come on live and talk about some retro game, um, you know, maybe live stream something, you know, have people ask questions. And I was like, well, what if no one asks questions? Then I'll just be talking to myself. And that's fine. I do a fair amount of that, you know, on my own. I figure, you know, I'm my own best company, right? It's not crazy, right? It doesn't matter. Anywho, I thought, Corbin, you have over mm, 80, 90 NBA basketball books. Why don't you take some off the shelf, look at them, and put a video together? just kind of doing a book review of sorts, sharing the books that you have. Why not? So I was looking at them, and I was like, okay, cool, we have a lot of team-specific books, not a lot of player biographies, and I was like, wow, we have a pretty good collection of basketball books, basically encompassing a year that was in the NBA, um, statistics, analysis, all of that, also known as annuals. Why don't you break down some of those? And I looked and thought about them, and I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. Reason why? Because for years, uh, and I'll break down each person and who they were, you know, who kind of led the way and kind of continued it. But from 1971 through 2013, you can always go in the NBA basketball writing market and find at least one book that covered basketball, the year that was in pro basketball, for every single year from that year moving on. You could. After that, from 2013, had a gap, it wasn't one in the market. Then you had 2013, 2014, 2015, nada. Um, and then actually, no, 2015 you did, but it was really more independent. Um, and that's kind of where it's gone now. In terms of content creators you can find on Twitter, I'll reference two that I follow now, who have really picked up the um, basketball annuals, so to speak, and crank out books that are beautifully done, that go into the NBA in depth, um, the year that was, records, players, roster moves, salary cap breakdowns, all of that in actual books that you can have on your shelf that are that are really cool and, and ones that I enjoy. But we did have a gap in between. But we had such a rich history of that before that I thought was interesting and wanted to kind of delve into it and didn't realize how many of them I had actually had in my possession. So I thought this would be a great place to start. 
Uh, first off, though, we're going to start with the newer ones because I think I'll break those down in a later video. Why not? But for now, uh, we have two. Um, one is Niku Mystery. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, I'll tag him at Niku Mystery. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but uh, he does these, or he writes these great NBA almanacs that are just bomb. Um, and I have, what, every year now from 2015 um, up to currently. Can't wait for the next one. Um, and it is the modern um, NBA almanacs, in my, in my opinion, as far as just keeping track of everything that was in the year before. He has features for trades in the offseason, features for trades during the season, roster breakdowns, team construction, NBA records, uh, shot profiles, where teams ranked um, in, in certain stats as far as offensive and defensive efficiency. It is really, really good. Really deep books. I greatly enjoy them. Uh, and so I'll probably share in a different video as far as modern, current NBA annuals. Another person who does NBA annuals who writes these books um, and one I follow is Richard Liu um, I will tag him as well and he also puts out similar books in terms of analysis not so much focused on the exact year that was uh, more he'll, he'll definitely cover teams and and moves that are made in the salary cap and where teams stand to go into the offseason but what I like about him is his focus more on the draft he'll analyze the draft class going in um, he has a statistical analysis uh, that he's developed called Rafer. I'll have to Rafer Alston. You know, skip to my Lou, right? Um, and I don't really understand. I forgot what R A F E. It actually like means something. But the point being, it analyzes that player's statistical profile with players who logged a certain amount of minutes in the NBA and comes up with this similarity score that is really interesting. And so he breaks it down um, by green level, yellow level, and then red level prospects. Uh, green being prospects who go into the NBA who have a high chance of being either a very good starter to great NBA player, yellow being ones that could but have questions, and red obviously being, uh-oh, you know, that sort of thing. So really good. He's been putting them out since 2017. So you have those books as well, um, NBA Offseason uh, Almanac, NBA Summer Almanac is what I think it's called now. Uh, and those are really good books. Like I said, I'll probably break those down in a separate uh, video entry because you know what? During this quarantine, you know, we need stuff to talk about. Uh, so why not? But in the meantime, between time, I thought I'd go through some classic books that I have that kind of set the way, set their trend centers in their own way uh, for this type of analysis in literature, basketball-wise. So the first one I'm starting with is this book. I'm putting it up here on video. It is... The Complete Handbook of Pro Basketball. And this was edited by a great legendary sports writer named Zalander Hollander, uh, who also wrote plenty of other books. I think he edited, or I don't think he edited the NBA Encyclopedia for, uh, I think, its first two editions. And he was a monster in the sports world. Um, before televised sports were around, the internet wasn't as big a thing. Um, and it definitely wasn't a uh, churner of NBA content that we have today, um, Hollander found a niche in the market, basically being able to put out books that had um, statistics, team rosters, analysis, records, schedules, and predictions for the upcoming season, while also breaking down the season that was with individual player profiles for each player in the NBA. It was really deep, and he didn't just do it for basketball. He also did it for hockey, baseball, soccer, um, and I think he did college, too. Pretty sure he did that too, but obviously my focus being the NBA guy that I am was on basketball. So I've been collecting these for a while, uh, and I enjoy them greatly. I think the first one I ever saw was like 10 years old, and I ran to it at a library, um, at a bookstore. And I really regret not having bought it when I had the chance. It was like for 50 cents, and 
I didn't have 50 cents, and my mom finally needed to focus on my schoolwork at the time, uh, so she didn't get it. And it's fine, because, you know, now I'm grown, and I have two copies of it. So, boom. 1988, complete handbook of pro basketball, where you at? Well, it's in my bookshelf. But what I liked about those books, what drew its attention to me from then, one, obviously it was basketball, so that had 10-year-old Corbin's eyes lit up, but also it was... I was into the deeper analysis of the sport. I wanted to know more about it, not just, you know, the the kids' books that you get at the book fairs at school at the time that just had, you know, the really cool full-color photos of the players in action with a couple sentences of what the year was. I watched the games. I know what happened. I wanted to get more of the story about, let's say, the Atlanta Hawks, who Corbin didn't care about at 10 years old. He was a Lakers fan, still is, through and through. So it didn't really matter, you know, what the Atlanta Hawks were doing with Sharif Abdul-Rahim and... uh Whoever, the el- whoever else is on that roster. You know what I mean? Um, Latrell Sprewell, I'm from New York. So that was a big thing for me, uh, being able to see him, thinking he was a superstar. And I'll go into another uh, author later who analyzed some of his game and was not a big fan of his. And I didn't realize the warts on that team until, obviously, years later. But it was really interesting to kind of have a book that basically, as it says on its back flap, 23 team yearbooks in one. And it really has... You know, it's a big book. It's a brick. It's over 400 pages. And it at on this one, the 1986 edition that I'm holding up, uh, Patrick Union just gotten had just been drafted by the Knicks. And on the back, it was 1986 predictions by the experts, NBA champions and award winners every year from 1947 up through this current point, 1985 for this one. Um, you had the complete 1985 college draft, and you had NBA player club records. Something else this Hollander also did was at the end of each um team and this is sort of how it started i'll uh, show it and i'll also explain it you have the team uh you have the necessary team directory so that's the president the media exec media services assistant coach coaches uh uniform colors all of that you have the scouting report which breaks down each aspect of the team from shooting to playmaking defense uh rebounding and then overall outlook and so that was cool and so for example by reading this i can know that i can find out that you know, the Warriors in 1985 were pretty trash at shooting. Um, they definitely liked to shoot. They didn't really convert too many baskets. And so they really made that a focus in the draft by drafting St. John's All-American Chris Mullen there. There may be many who question the rookie's speed and jumping ability, but there's no doubt they can bury the open jumper. That's the type of analysis you're getting in these books. Um, you also had playmaking, which wasn't great. Uh, Lester Connor was the main man, and apparently he was quite capable as long as he didn't have to shoot anything from the outside, which eh, it's kind of questionable for your point guard, not being able to shoot. Eh, you'd rather have that as a attribute for your point guard. Um, defense, they have that. Uh, it was horrible. Golden State allowed opponents to shoot a ridiculous 53% from the field and score 117 points per game. It marked the third straight season in which the Warriors were the easiest team in the league to score on. So it's that type of analysis that I loved. Um, you had the Warriors roster at the time. So it breaks down, you know, each player, uh, position, height, weight, how old they were, how many years they've been a pro, what college they went to, as well as the rookies they drafted and the position. So you had Chris Mullen, Bobby Lee Hurt, Brad Wright, Luster Goodwin, and Greg Kavanagh, who, um, aside from Chris Mullen, I will have to look at these players more because I am not aware of them. But that type of analysis is great. The Warrior profiles, or the basketball profiles for every team was was really in-depth. You had, again, the basic information. You had a paragraph or so about the year they had, the type of player that they are, maybe some extra stuff, um, 
anecdotal information that is really interesting looking back. Uh, for example, Purvis Short's brother, Eugene, played briefly with the Knicks. The Warriors drafted him fifth overall. Uh, Short began his career as a reserve, but his abundant offensive talent couldn't be kept under wraps. Always attracts a big crowd of friends and relatives during stops in Texas. Boom. I mean, I didn't even know that about Purvis. I remember getting dunked on a couple times by Byron Scott on old NBA highlight uh, you know, videos, but there you go. Purvis Short. Boom. And then you also have records from him from every um, season he played in the NBA from when he was drafted up to his current point. So he 1978 was when he started up to 85. And I really enjoyed having that. And you have that for every player who was on the roster for said year. All the way up to the end where, uh, and this was something I always thought was fun, a Hollander would always put out for each year entry uh, just this random benchmark or this random best superlative for a team in their history up to that point. So for 1985, uh, the addition was greatest slam dunker. So every team, whether you're going through the Philadelphia 76ers or the Washington Bullets or the New York Knicks or the Sacramento Kings, you can expect the full scouting report, each player broken down with their information, uh, complete player profiles, and then the greatest slam dunker for its time up to that point. So for the Bullets, um, apparently Gus Johnson, 6'6 forward from Idaho, first on the NBA scene in 1963, and dunked for a decade. When Daryl Dawkins broke a couple backboards several years ago, league historians recalled Johnson doing the same thing in the 60s. Things like that. Really cool, in- interesting information. And then he also had all-time team leaders. So he would do for season, game, career. Very simple. Points, assists, rebounds. That's it. And you go on to the next team, and on to the next team. And each one has that same in-depth analysis and you would carry that on to the end where you would close with the NBA college draft um, full black and white pictures of top players as well as the draft order then you go over the final standings of the year before um, in this case the 85 season to close with all-time records and this was the book you were expecting to get every year from Hollander from 70 all the way from 1971 all the way through 1997 Um, unfortunately at that point he had a stroke uh, and then, you know, he, this late great uh, Hollander passed away shortly thereafter and was in no longer uh, a position to be able to crank out these books. But he was really the pioneer of putting these sports annuals out with the in-depth information that sports fans uh, sought during those times, um, at least in a literary standpoint. And the book Sharper Observations came from him. He had a team of assistants that churned out these books like an assembly line. You had the submission of an outline that went to the publishing house. The ID was accepted. He would recruit well-known writers in the field to help scout for these players, assemble all that information, and then put them out in books. And again, he would do this for years, for years at a time, year after year after year. And it was really, really interesting. Um, and I love them. I'm glad I have more than a couple of these in my possession uh i'd say about 20 of them and you know as older editions get cheaper i grab them uh thrift books is my friend actually it's kind of a friend for a lot of my books so you know random note if you're looking for order uh nba basketball books or order books in general you know check out thrift books great all right next person uh another pioneer who kind of carried along uh, basketball annuals from a different perspective but kind of increased the statistical analysis on it. Uh, also coincided with Hollander throughout this entire run um, that he wrote these books uh, was Rick Barry. Yes, great forward for the Warriors, NBA champion, all-time free throw shooter, all-time shooter, uh, you know, crazy hairstyle guy, weird free throw form. I think I've described him enough. Rick Barry from 1989 through 1997 
wrote with the help of friend Jordan Kahn, who is a, a Harvard graduate and a writer for Hoop Magazine and other um, publications for the NBA during that time, wrote up this title called Rick Barry's Pro Scouting Report, later called Rick Barry's Pro Basketball Bible, then just the Pro Basketball Bible. And this was player ratings and in-depth analysis on over 400 NBA players and draft picks. And I'm holding in my hand right now the first edition of this. Simple black and white cover. Isaiah Thomas versus Michael Jordan. James Edwards. Don't know why you have James Edwards in the backdrop, but boom, you did. And what Rick Barry did, he didn't focus on the the teams, as it were. There wasn't there weren't all-time records. Um, that wasn't his focus. Uh, there weren't reviews of the team before and how they did from that perspective. That wasn't his focus either. What Barry and Khan did was look at each player. More than 400 players who logged uh, significant minutes. I would say usually your top 12 on NBA, every NBA roster at that time every year up through the end of that series in 1997. And the players were put in alphabetical order. So... Alvin Adams was at the front, although he was retired by that point. Byron Scott was with the S's. You would just go find a player, and you would be able to see their statistical profile, um, their scouting report, as it were, by everything that um, Barry had kind of put together. So, for example, Mitch Richmond, who I just happened to turn the page to. Uh, you get your birth date, height, weight, college, drafted, position. So he's fifth in 1988 by the Warriors, first round. Uh, position he plays, guard, and he would... Um, Barry would also put guard, forward, whatever the case may be. The final team he was on, which I loved. So if you were a player, say, uh, Danny Ainge, who was traded in 19, I want to say, 88. Yeah, 1988 from, or 1989 from the Celtics to the Kings. The final team that he was on, the Sacramento Kings, is the team that it will be finished as. But Barry will describe in full Ainge's entire year of 1989. So he'll just differentiated between the Celtics and the Kings in the writing. But this is easier to find, easier to figure out. You know, it's not going to say, uh, oh, he played for the Celtics and the Kings. No, what was the final team he was on when the season ended at that date in 1989? Really cool, at least to me. Um, and then you get the statistics. So you had games, field goals attempted and made, free throws attempted and made, offensive rebounds, total rebounds, assists, steals, turnovers, blocks, points, and points per game. One thing that I really thought Barry was ahead of the curve on was also adding... Um, true shooting percentage. He put the three-point shot as well. So you have uh, Richmond went 33 for 90, 36% from three. And then he added the true shooting percentage and broke down the analysis given there as to why the three-pointer should count um, or why the three-pointer does count as part of um, the, the true shooting percentage, the points out added. He says the players typically lower their overall shooting percentage when they shoot a lot of three-point attempts because they're more difficult to shot than the two-pointer. We all know this now, but back in 1989, it was probably little bit of news um the true shooting percentage is a way of including the value added of that extra point into the overall shooting percentage and he even gives an example for example player a a power forward shoots a thousand times in a season makes 450 but attempts no three-pointers his shooting percentage is 45 percent excluding free throws he has scored 900 points but consider player b who also shoots 1,000 times makes 450 but 100 of his field goals are three-pointers in the record book he is also a 45 percent shooter but he has scored an additional 100 points. So the true shooting percentage translates those 100 points into two-point field goals, 50, and adds it to the number of field goals. In effect, player B has made 500 two-point field goals for a much more impressive 50% from the field. And that alone, that, that, that paragraph alone, 
was introducing statistics in a new way for people who follow basketball and weren't aware of all these new numbers and this analytics uh, infusion into your sports coverage or sports analysis outside of the general you know percentage from the field points rebounds blocks assists that basic ratio another thing I liked is that Barry included uh, the player's performance on a per minute scale so he equated the performance of a player who played dissimilar minutes and he explained himself for example starters will typically accumulate higher totals in all statistical categories than the reserve counterparts but the per minute numbers put them on equal footing for comparison's sake Note that the player's permanent numbers are generally compared to others of his position, and they've created 10 positions. So he had starting ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and then backups to all five positions. So when we say Johnny Newman is a below-average defensive rebounder, Barry means that for a below-average rebounder for starting small forwards. Really cool. Again, that extra bit of analysis for for players and fans or fans who are looking into following their players and their teams and wondering why a certain player performed great statistically in one area, wasn't so great in another area. And you have to love the detail that he gives to each player. So John Sally, he talks about John Sally shooting 56% from the field, but his offense consisted almost entirely of dunks and layups off fast breaks and offensive rebounds. He started expanding his game in 89. He uh, showed some confidence in a 15-foot jump shot. His bread and butter still remains a transition basket. Boom. Defense. Spiders and app nickname. Cap might be another. With his long arms and quickness, he is an excellent defender who can play both center and power forward. He blocks 1.1 shots a game and alters to trajectory of countless others. He's mobile for a guy who is seven foot and tough to um, to battle in help situations. Boom. Floor game runs the floor well. That's the intangibles. He was witty, upbeat, well-liked by his teammates and coaches. Um, what was holding him back apparently at the time was inconsistency. He didn't get it done every night. And then in some, as a backup, he provided major league shot blocking and big-time running. Um, Rick Mahorn had just finished winning the championship with the Pistons that year, but was left open. The expansion draft was taken by Minnesota, and so now they're saying that Sally would be the natural candidate for Detroit's starting four. But Chuck Daly didn't think that he was uh, physical enough to be a starter. Turned out that he wasn't. Um, Dennis Rodman got in there, Mark Wire. We know how that all worked out for the Pistons in their later championship year. Uh, however, just that alone you get to see a capsule of that player. You don't have to watch a game. If you weren't around from that point, okay, you can see what that player was good at, what that player wasn't good at from a number of standpoints. And in this one, Barry uses the same for all. Scoring, defense, defensive rebounding, the floor game, intangibles, and in some. Scoring's easy. Don't got to explain that. Defense, how was that player defensively? Defensive rebounding, just rebounding in general, but he just puts that alongside defense. The floor game, passing. Point guards have more... um, entries into that more um more of um what's the word i'm looking for it's expounded upon more than you would have let's say a tom chambers who you know 2.9 assist a game that year yeah okay intangibles what was that player known of in the locker room what intel did barry have what intel did he get from scouts or others was that guy a locker room lawyer was he someone who was tough to be around was he well liked by teammates the intangibles is he a hard worker does he take criticism easily all of that what goes into making a player in the nba from that standpoint because that's important as well and then lastly in some you take all of that together you put that in sum on what you think that player is does that player have a long future in the nba do you think this player is going to be a flop or not whatever the case may be do you see this player playing another year in the nba is this clearly his last year and then you had what was rick's ratings at the time where he would take scoring shooting 
which was different than scoring, obviously, whether that player had range from 15 to 20 feet, from 20 feet to the three-point line, or whether he was just a guy who scored on duck-ins and dunks. That was what shooting represented. Free throw shooting, ball handling, passing, defense, defensive rebounding, shot blocking, intangibles, and overall. And it was from an A to D scale. Really cool to have that broken down in that way. So Barry did this, and he continued to up uh, the statistical analysis game every year that he did it from 89 to 97, at which point that series was discontinued. Uh, and so again, I'm happy to have every entry of that. Um, maybe a couple of duplicates. Don't even know. But you can find those books on Thrift Books online as well. They're a little harder to come by, uh, just in general. They kind of pop up out of nowhere or not. I usually always try to keep my eyes out for them because they're really good reads. I really enjoy looking back at historical NBA analysis and seeing how far it's changed. And, you know, I like reading, so it's a, it's a double plus for me. All right. Now we start. Had a gap there from 97 to 2002. Internet was there more, so you had stuff on NBA.com. You had newspapers putting out more um, detailed analysis. Uh, you had your basketball magazines. Lindy's Pro Basketball Magazine is followed every year um, from way back all the way through now. You had Basketball Digest is another um, magazine kind of entry that covered the NBA as well. But as far as books, from 1997 to 2002, you didn't really have anything. You had a couple of one-offs. Um, I have a 1999 book called The NBA Ana- um, Analyst, which is a guy who... Um, was a professor. I don't want to rag on the guy or anything. He was trying to cover the bas- the NBA game through his own um, statistical uh, analysis standpoint and these new um, ways of analyzing it that he created that were, you know, rather confusing to me. But I have it, so it's interesting. Uh, but by and large, you didn't have an annual come out between 97 and 2002. And then a man by the name of John Hollinger changed all of that when he came out with Pro Basketball Prospectus. And I'm holding up the first issue of that. This was new for 2002. Andre Miller is on the cover. In-depth analysis of every team. You have innovative new statistics that determine the importance of every player's skills. And you have forecasts and trends for the new NBA season. Uh, you may know John Hollinger for um, the Hollinger and Duncan NBA podcast. You may know him even further as the creator of uh, PR. Uh, and just how that's turned the NBA at the time on its head as far as being a new statistical godfather of analytics and being the, I want to say the, the, the child of that. I, I'm gonna stop right there. Don't want to get my. I don't know what I'm saying. Point being, uh, you know, one of the foremost NBA analysts in terms of bringing in that analytic data, you know, making it more about the numbers and not just oh the eye test, but more of what do the numbers show us about said player. You know, are they do great players make their teammates better? What statistical proof of this do we have? Things of that sort. PSAs, all of that, statistics that convey that, you know, we already know that Tracy McGrady is a great scorer, that Ben Wallace is a great defender, and that at the time Theo Ratliff or Dikembe Mutombo is a great rebounder. But questions that he asked that are answered in this book. Would Jeff Foster be a top 10 rebounder if he played 35 minutes a night? Are Reggie Miller and Allen Houston as similar as the numbers would superficially suggest? Which, as you'll find out, means no, they're not. <laughs> are guys who make a lot of three points but shoot a lower percentage coming out ahead on the deal? Does Allen Iverson shoot too much? Allen Iverson always shot too much. But yes, and this book um, and all the others to come after this, it later changed to the pro basketball forecast. And then uh, when Hollinger uh, was off the title, Kevin Pelton and others took it on uh, from 2010 through 2013, um, in which case it also came to a stop. But what I enjoyed about these is that you have detailed statistical analysis along with I said statistical like 14, 15, 16 times, but it's true. It's kind of a big thing. Along with 
um, articles, like little essays that Hollinger would write about the team uh, at a glance. So record, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, pace factor, um, defensive ratings versus each individual uh, um, profile or each individual player. So position, that's the word. Defense versus point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, power forwards, centers. If you're really good uh, defender at point guard, then your rating's going to be better up there. Uh, if you are really bad on defense and your center sucks, then that would also translate in the numbers. Um, you had your top overall rated player through PER. For example, 2002, the Pistons was uh, Corliss Williamson uh, at 20.6, which was 23rd overall. Does a little bit on the head coach, in this case, Rick Carlisle. And then he talks about the year that was for that team. So you have that, and it's really deep. And then he goes into this random question that he'll propose in the midst of his talking about the Pistons. So he was talking about um, surprise players who, you know, later in their career and came out of nowhere and had a great PER jump from one year to the other. Um, for these two players that he's describing in 2001-2002, it was John Barry and Corliss Williamson. Um, John Barry went from 12.25 to 17.70. Corliss Williamson went from 15.9 to 20.6. And then he puts the difference there. And that led Hollinger to think, are mid-career performance jumps a fluke? And so then he goes into the study. He pulls up these statistics. In this case, he did it from the past four seasons. He sets this criteria, age 28 or older, PR 14 or greater, PR increased by three or more from the previous season, and player played more than 500 minutes in each season. He goes into that. Then he breaks down tables that include late career PR increases. And so you have players like, in this case, Sean Kemp, Dal Curry, Clarence Weatherspoon, Chris Mills, Allen Houston, Derek Coleman, Chris Gatling, Tracy Murray, Scott Williams, Brian Grant, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Carlos Rogers, Kurt Thomas, and Danny Manning. He puts out their year one, puts out their year two, puts the change in the PR from there, and then puts the year two age. And then what he does is he goes that much deeper and throws in that third year. And sees, did it go forward again? Did it stay relatively the same? Or did it have a massive drop-off? And did that show that, you know, a player having a late career PER is more of a, a one-hit wonder, a random occurrence, or something that can be charted as something that could possibly be more of the norm. Um, just as I've already kind of read most of the study, a uh, Hollinger study here proved that players who showed late career PER increases generally get a harsh one-way ticket back to reality. None of them improved the next season, and many were far worse. Um, the only players whose PER didn't drop by more than a full point were players like Clarence Weatherspoon and Allie Houston. Meanwhile, players like Hakeem Olajuwon, Sean Kemp, and Derek Coleman dropped all the way off the board in terms of PER. But that's what you're getting from Hollinger's uh, pro basketball perspectives. And it was really, really interesting to see that. He goes into each player. He answers questions that you wouldn't even think about. Um, why are players certain overrated? Which goes back to my original point of Latrell Spree, why I loved him as a player growing up, being from New York. Um, and he says Latrell Spree was vastly overrated um, playing in New York, a lot of it because of the exposure and the type of player that he was, but that he was not efficient, wasn't a great passer for his position, was only an average defender, um, and goes in depth on that in ways that go, oh, wow, well, you know, I only remember him scoring uh, 30-some points against the Spurs in Game 5 of the Finals or dropping 49 points against the Celtics in 2002. Talking about my own experience. I didn't know, you know, night overnight what type of player he was, primarily because, you know, I was like 5 or 6 during those times. But that's the type of historical analysis that you can get, and it really makes for good reading because Hollinger isn't just someone who knows the game in and out and knows the numbers in and out. He's a great writer. And that also presents itself very well in these books. And so, again, another guy. Every year, 
would put out these books. Um, I think he did his from like 2002, I want to say through 2008. At some point, he dropped off, you know, other jobs and responsibilities. We know Hollinger's been everywhere um, since then. But after that, there was a team that took over from there, and they continued it. And I have all those books as well. And it makes for really good reading. But I think I'm just going to call it for today. Uh, hope that this rambling was semi-coherent and was something of a book review. I would give all these entries an A. I think they form the way I think about basketball. They definitely help foster my love of basketball. Um, in addition to that love of reading that I have, I am very much looking forward to jumping back on very, very soon to share uh, Nico Mystery's book and Richard Liu's book. Um, and just sharing what I enjoyed about that, maybe giving a review of those books. I'm just going to tell you right now, I love them. You should all check them out. Um, I will try to put a link in the video or Twitter or whatever I get um, a chance so that you guys can look if you are so interested. But uh, yeah, this has been Corbin Ford. Follow me at CorbinMBA on Twitter. Please do. I would appreciate it. Uh, follow at HoopBallTweets. Follow at Bouguet. Check us all out. We appreciate you all. Take care. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Maintain social distancing. Watch some classic NBA games. And uh, see y'all around. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.